everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dine Sports YouTube page and podcast network. Today, we've got a great episode coming up. We got two guests. The first we're going to sit down with is Nate Bihar, who is a CFL wide receiver, originally drafted by the Edmonton Eskimos, now currently with the Ottawa Red Blacks. And he had a storied university career as well, too, with the Carlton Ravens. It had probably one of the more iconic moments in uh, university football in terms of the Ottawa sports scene with the walk-off Hail Mary uh, touchdown in the Panda game a few years ago there too so we relive some of his uh, biggest sports moments but uh, more importantly some of the new ventures that he's up to as well too so uh, obviously lots of downtime with the CFL season being cancelled due to the pandemic and he's uh, definitely been busy and keeping up with uh, some uh, very very cool stuff that uh, he's been working on with some of his business partners there so we talk about all that and more then up next we also have Cameron Hughes who can best be described as a energy broker uh, a professional fan uh, an in-game experience enhancer all of the above so he's actually uh essentially contracted to go from stadium to stadium around the world and uh really live in the game day experience and it's probably one of the coolest jobs i've ever heard of and uh, some of the stories he has are, are just next level and so as a sports fan I, i'm insanely jealous of the opportunities he's had and the fact that he's got to experience all these cool things and get paid for it as well too is just uh just just phenomenal and uh, he's also just in the process of releasing a new book as well too so we touch on that and more so jam-packed episode hope you guys enjoy all right and joining us today is cfl wide receiver nate bihar how are you today sir I'm very well, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. How are things? Obviously, no season this year, so you've had to stay busy in other ways there, but for the most part, you stay insane, you keep an active, all that good stuff? Yeah, you know, just uh, just just sticking with it as best as you can. I mean, it's it's bizarre. It's, you never never had a summer before, yeah. and even since high school times, it was like playing, you're playing summer football, which, I mean, you still have lots of freedom, but it's the first time I've never, never been playing football at all or, or doing it. So it's been been weird. And of course, you know, a global pandemic takes things into a whole other category of weird. Uh, but we're sticking with it, staying, staying busy uh, in yeah. lots of ways. So, so we're, we're all right. I was going to say, this has got to be the longest you've gone without catching a football since you were probably, what, like seven, eight years old here? Yeah, I would, I would probably say so. It's been, it's been pretty crazy to think about. Um, yeah, not hearing a whistle, not getting, not getting blindsided for, for this long it's, it's a bizarre feeling <laughs> yeah yeah well who, who knows maybe your body will thank you for taking a little bit of time off there when you get back onto the gridiron there <laughs> i imagine it i imagine it will yeah so i mean for you growing up was it always football or were you sort of a multi-sport athlete growing up what, what was your sort of sports experience like as a kid there mm -hmm. yeah i was uh i was football and basketball always um yeah football i was a uh, skinny little running back for the most part um skinny little running back a little bit a little bit of a uh, receiver and quarterback and stuff here and there sprinkled in and point guard in basketball and I think I was how old have I been probably 11 or 12 when I think my dad I think it was like the first time I blocked him or something like that it was one of those one of those moments where he was like okay you might be an athlete and he's <laughs> he grew up in South Florida so he's very much into specialization so I remember the exact day I was visiting him in Toronto and he I think I blocked him and went and like hit a reverse layup on him he's like okay decision time are you gonna be a pro, are you gonna play pro basketball or are you gonna play pro football and i was like what and he's like decide and i was like football he's like okay so he rolled the basketball off the court so we get your cleats in the car and then you get them with the field and he ran me till i puked <laughs> and it was that was it that was the yeah. decision it was it was made 
There, there, there you go there. Little did you know that fateful day when <laughs> you were a young kid there, that, that was when you were going to start specializing there. It was a wild one. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, at what point was it that, you know, obviously dad sort of had a, uh, an inkling of your abilities a little bit earlier on there, but at, at what point was it for you that you started to really think like, you know what, uh, post-secondary scholarship or going mm -hmm. pro or you know all, all these things started to become sort of a reality there because obviously every kid grow, grows up thinking they're going to the show and, mm -hmm. and a very very minute amount of them actually make it there w when was it that it started to click for you that you know what if I sort sort of focus and dedicate myself to this this is a realistic shot yeah I, mean, I think you, you kind of hit on the head like I always thought I was just going to um it never there was never really I, my, my, my family did a very good job of making me feel special. I think they, they tease me now because they think they did too good of a job at it. <laughs> <laughs> they used to laugh. I used to get teased when I was like 16, 17, but they'd be like, we created Frankenstein's monster with this. We made him, we made him believe he was too special. Oh no. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that there's always like that belief that you could do it. And then I think, I mean, substantively, like probably, I think probably like my grade, Grade 11 or grade 10 year, I was like pretty, I was pretty darn good, um, like for junior level, you know, didn't do anything grade nine. So I'd say probably grade 10, um, was just playing quarterback, but was realized that I was, you know, pretty decently athletic compared to everybody. I was super skinny. I was like 110 pounds probably, but could run and all that sort of stuff. And I think the one that solidified was, yeah, grade 11, getting to move up to the big boys and like, didn't do a lot in games as a receiver and stuff, but just, you know, practicing with them and having the older guys be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be all right. Don't worry. You know, and they just nurturing you. That's sort of sort of that stamp of approval is like, okay, so there is something there. Just got to learn what a weight is. You got to yeah. learn how to eat and uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Pack on a couple of pounds there. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you were one of the top ranked wide receiving prospects in, in the country when you signed your letter of intent there and ended up going to Carlton who at the time had, had, just come off a long layoff of not even having a football program. So a little bit of a leap of faith on your part there mm -hmm. to end up signing with this rebooting program. What, what was it about you that, you know, sold you on the program, the coaching staff, the university? Um, I, mean, I think it's still, I think it kind of goes back to that, what I was touched on before. Like I, I just truly believe that um, whatever we did was going to, was going to work itself out. Um, and then it was just sort of the, the, the excitement of the opportunity. Um, I mean, I can't say enough about the coaching staff, you know, um, how fortunate we were to have, you know, seven or eight for all full-time coaches, uh, coach Samara, coach Beck, coach, coach, coach Aslan, coach Sokobi. Like they were just, I believed in them. Um, I, I think the moment that sold me was like coming to visit Ottawa and they were just tucked away in athletics and then our, our uh, locker room wasn't even built yet. They were just tucked away in some offices and like <laughs> just the way they interacted, how excited they were. I could feel it was like a legitimate, just like, the guys working together towards something and I was like yeah I can work with this um and then you know it was uh, on top of that was just sort of like when would you ever get the chance to start something from scratch in, in sports like when would you get to, when was the next time you ever gonna get to start a program you know um it's it'd be great to go be a purple pony and you know maybe when a when a walk to a Yates or walk to a Vandy or something like that with Western or you know or Guelph at the time or Mac and all these things but there's definitely something more, there's definitely things more important than just that and building it yourself with, with a group of guys was, was too much to pass up. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, sp speaking of ponies and, and rivalries and all that, they're obviously a, uh, a big part of any kind of Carleton experience is the Carleton versus Ottawa U rivalry that goes on there. And you've had probably one of the most memorable, you know, experiences in terms of the Panda game in recent memory with, with the walk-off Hail Mary there. So, I mean, every kid dreams of catching a game-winning touchdown Hail Mary pass on the last play DeAndre Hopkins this past weekend there mm -hmm. and all that but you actually lived it what, what was that experience like especially given the fact that it wasn't just you know some mid-season game it was your biggest rival at TD place and there's probably thousands more people there than there normally is at, at a typical Ravens game yeah absolutely it was uh I mean it's, it's pretty funny like looking back on it now it's been I think it's been five years almost 24. yeah no it's definitely been I think it's been been five or six years um which is pretty crazy to think about but it's uh it was uh like I, I blacked out to just be, to, to be totally to be totally honest. like I, it's like the moment of the ball being thrown and then to the end zone I don't like really remember anymore I just I do remember like the moment of like oh this is in my hands and then it's just chaos ensued but I mean it was it was just so cool because it was like our, I was like our, also our first moment to like be seen on a national stage. Ottawa U had, you know, national respect and for us to beat them in the way we did um, as just a bunch of 18, 19 year olds. And then especially because what they did to us the year before, they did some disrespectful stuff in our first year. They were throwing behind the back passes and, and you know, and stuff when, when they were up by 30 against a bunch of 18 year olds. Um, and so we had a lot of, we had a lot of pent up anger for them. And then we took it out on them three years in a row, which was pretty good. <laughs> pretty rewarding at the end of it. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, what, what was the on-field experience like during that? Because if you think about it right now, the game still actually hasn't been finished because you guys never kicked the extra point. <laughs> Everyone just swarmed the field. And, you know, so you said you blacked out. And what was your first moment of consciousness? You're surrounded by thousands of people. and Yeah, very like, literally that. What that was essentially like. Um, yeah, literally, we, you know, finally half the team gets off me and we're all, uh, we're all moving around. We're all looking around and it's just like, literally five six thousand people have just come out of the stands and are just now just on the field partying and celebrating and chanting at the ottawa u fans on their side and it was just like didn't know where anything was and or you know i was just like what is going on this is the coolest and everyone's just it was just like pure elation i mean that's one of those college university moments that like you know you you watch on you watch on tv and you don't really expect to be a part of so whether or not you know whether or not you caught the you caught the ball, you threw the ball, you blocked for Jesse or anything in between, like that's a moment that I feel like everyone was just like, "Wow, that was cool." And then it started a tradition. Now this, this the field gets stormed every year. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's which is pretty darn cool. I mean, they've won a couple in a row, which is we don't need to talk about. But yeah. you know, they, <laughs> there's been some good stuff that have come from it. It's pretty pretty special. Yeah, yeah. File that one away to talk about with the grandkids later on. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, you, you wrap up your four-year career with Carleton. You, you, you declare for the draft there and end up getting selected by Edmonton fifth overall. Did you have sort of an inkling of where you were going to go in the draft ahead of time, just based on, you know, pre-draft conversations mm -hmm. or who you worked out for and that? Or was it sort of a surprise to you when your name was called there? Funny enough, they were actually probably like bottom two teams we thought we were going to go to. Okay. Uh, you know, cut through conversations with my agent and stuff, but they had a turnover um, of the GM and everything um, pretty close to the draft. And I think that's why we didn't hear from them. Most teams, you know, my agent wasn't always known for, isn't always known for his, uh, his easy negotiation tactics. <laughs> so I think so. most, most teams get ahead of it. You know, Hey John, what, what you guys be looking for X, X, Y, Z, you know, chat with them. And Edmonton was one of the only teams we hadn't heard anything from. And then, uh, 
coach, my coach found out because their, their new, the new GM there, Brock Sunderland was with the Red Blacks for, for years before. I had a good relationship with them. I'd helped out at some training camps and stuff. And then which to Mary kind of, I think he kind of heard it through the grapevine as well. He told me a few hours before, he's like, I don't think you're getting past five. I was like, you don't say, cause I knew nine, I was gone to Ottawa and I knew 10, I was definitely gone to Montreal. Um, so we kind of knew what the floor was. And then, yeah, to have it happen was pretty, a little surprising. I was like blindsided a bit, but it was, it's obviously great. I got to play with some incredible receivers. I think the best receiving core in recent CFL history, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for the casual fan, right. They see you once a week, right. Whether that's on TV or game day experience. Right. But everyone who knows, you know, pro sports, they know it's just a beehive of activity that whole week leading up to it. There you got all prep practice pads, no pads, all that film walk us through what is a typical week in the life of a professional athlete look like when you're sort of mid-season gearing up for a game? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you pretty much run everything off of a numbered system. So there's no Monday to Friday doesn't exist, especially in the CFL, because, you know, at least in the NFL, you're almost always playing on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Once, maybe one, once on Thursdays, maybe once on a Monday, depending on your schedule. CFL changes so much, right? It could be a, could be a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. It changes it every week. Um, and so with that, you play, it's a numbered system. So day five is your game day. Essentially, your Friday is game day. That's how, it, that's how it's built. Um, so sometimes you're going to have a zero, sometimes you're going to have, but you're always going to have a one. Uh, so essentially, if, you know, if you play, oh, maybe not messes up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. So if you play, if you play on consecutive Fridays, you finish game on Friday. Um, usually you'd go completely off Saturday and then you'd be in on Sunday for day zero, or you would, or you'd flip that depending on your schedule, if you're traveling. So essentially you'll have a day one of the days off after the game, either the day right after or the day or the second day after. Um, and then the one that you're not off will just be a little rundown. So you kind of get a flush with your, you know, your strength coach or your performance coach. So usually just some jog and stretch in, rolling out and that sort of stuff. And then you break down film for, for a few hours, uh, usually two or three, um, and then you're off and you're, you're chilling. It's a recovery day, hangout. Day one is heavy install day. Day one's the day to, to get your brain right. Uh, you walk in, you have your, probably usually around 85, 90 plays install, um, sitting on your, sitting on your chair in your, in your meeting room for your, your position group. Um, you go through that for about two hours to start, uh, usually leave meetings a little bit earlier than normal, go on the field, get a little walkthrough in, and then it's practice. Practice is a little bit slower tempo because there's so much to process. It really is just an execution day. It's usually first, first and 10, um, change of possession sort of, sort of, sort of plays. Day two, you'll, we start looking at second down. So you get another 30, 35, 40 plays depending on your, depending on your coordinator. Um, that's that practice is a little more high energy. It's the highest energy of the, of the, of the week flying around lots of reps. Um, cause you got to scale it back down after that, just how the nervous system and everything works. You want to start to pull reps back, uh, day three is red zone. And then, you know, second and like extra long sort of one-off plays that you install. Um, and so that, that practice is a little bit slower. It's, I shouldn't say slower that, that practice is all about execution, less reps, but they want like full energy, but you're going to, you're going to get your breaks, that sort of stuff. You get your step three is skelly, you get your red zone, skelly, et cetera. And then day four, day before a game is a walkthrough. So it's a travel day and a walkthrough. If you're away, that's when you would usually fly, you get to the hotel, you do your walkthrough, whether it's in a conference room or on a grass patch, if it's nice out, whatever you want to do, or at the field sometimes, uh, recover some more meetings, just making sure you go over, you know, as a slot guy, you go over your pass protections, you go over your run stuff, you go, you have to go through everything with everybody one, one last time, and then you're off and then game day, and then start it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, 
very regimented and you know so right now is, is it kind of weird to not have that sort of okay every single day of the week is already mapped out for me I know what I'm doing like how are you sort of filling your time are you taking it day by day or are you mm -hmm. literally looking at a calendar and going all right on Monday I'm doing this Tuesday I'm doing that like what does your life look like right now um it's regimented in that I am at the whim I will say of uh of some business associates, people that I'm talking to, and I have a have some business stuff that, that I'm working on that's um, giving myself the structure. It's not as regimented as that, you know. It's yeah. not make your sales calls every day here. It's kind of okay. Well, you know, as a founder and stuff like that, it's just chaos all around, and you kind of got to just pick and play, plug and plug and play, and make it happen where you can. So, it was definitely not that regimented, but I will say it's a little bit more regimented than a traditional off season. Like at least because in a traditional off season, it's like, okay, I got to be up at six thirty to go work out. I come home. I do whatever the heck I want. And then it's okay, go, go to the second workout at 3 p.m. And now you do whatever the heck you want. And that's pretty much it. You got two things every day. And other than that, it's just empty, empty black space. It could be Xbox, it could be dinner, it could be a million things. So yeah. this is a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, COVID happens, right? There's no CFL season this year. And, you know, some players don't know what to do. Some players already have a plan or a job that they're returning to and all that. You you, you really dove right into the, the fact that you have all this downtime, right? And, and you've got your, your new startup there, Autonomy Marketing. You know, it is, why don't we start with number one, what is it? And, and number two, why was this such a passion project for you to launch? Yeah, absolutely. So one, what it is, I'll, I'll put my pitch, my pitch face on. Um, <laughs> Autonomy Marketing is an influencer marketing platform to help brands and businesses find, engage, and launch ad campaigns with influential athletes faster. All-in-one solution. Um, it's a streamlined turnkey solution, web-based platform, and a mobile platform that helps these brands and athletes find one another, make the correct fit, create relationships. They can chat. They can negotiate everything within our platform. We handle legal. We handle content approval. We handle payment and the like all in one spot um the idea really came organically i mean in the winter of last year i had a couple different friends two or three of them reach out at different times over the course of a few weeks like hey man i'm starting something like think when it's time like you could help me get some athletes or help me get some influencers like to you know help promote my brand and yeah of course they're my good friends and then second one happens yeah of course and the third one happens and it's like yeah of course but starting to why see is there, here. <laughs> exactly why is there not a first google um, search that you type in that, that pops up. And so I started doing some research. This was around January now, January, February. I kept calling my one friend who's my partner now, um, Cole. And it's when, he, when, he, when I call him about something like that, he's very like, okay, you have a million ideas before breakfast. Yeah. But he's like, hey, I, I love your excitement. Make a business plan, then we'll chat. So essentially, I went, started to look at it. I started to look at influencer marketing. I wasn't exactly sure where to focus. You know, I hadn't nailed down yet that athletes were the, the, the best pathway in. I think I knew, but I hadn't put it into, into, into thought. And then I also realized that everybody operating in this space was operating at a price level that's up here. And if you can't see me because you're listening, it's way above your head is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. We're talking thousands of dollars a month. It's pretty high right now for those. Yeah. The audience. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm talking like thousand dollars a month licensing fees to bring thousands of dollars to the table to work with their influencers, all this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, well yeah, Coca-Cola can afford that or Nike or Adidas, whatever. But what about the hundreds, if not thousands of small and medium sized businesses that are great businesses like they're we say small to medium in the you know in the business world because compared to the largest ones they're small but yeah. they're not small to you and i like they're yeah. still 
incredible businesses that just don't carve out that much of their money for marketing. Mm-hmm. And then with that, these Nike and Adidas, and all these, they don't really want all the athletes, in, especially in Canada where we don't, you know, aggrandize athletes to the same level. They, they might not be, you know, knocking down doors to go get some of these athletes, Olympians and people in the fitness, health and wellness industry that some of these small to medium sized businesses would create incredible relationships with that would last long times and get and bring real value. So I thought, how do you create something that prices itself properly for them so that they have access to influencer marketing? Because it should be easy. It's a simple process. Mm-hmm. And then word, which sort of, you know, vertical or niche of, of influencers matters and is impactful. And then I got hit over the head with it with like the most obvious, duh, this should have had a V8 commercial kind of feeling of like yeah. bonky on the forehead of like engagement rates of athletes are like three X, four X times as high as any other, as any other niche of influencers or, or social media profiles around. It's just a known fact. Mm-hmm. And for, and then I started doing some customer discovery, asking brands and businesses don't even know where to go to start getting athletes. Like the reason they don't use them, the reason they just, you know, are okay with, a beauty blogger or more maybe like a mommy blogger that's i don't know if that's the right term but you know just like yeah. just uh run-of-the-mill influencers with their acid washed ig profiles and stuff like that like it's because it's just who do i call do i call an agent do i call a manager do i call like a concierge service do i call the, the team themselves do i have to communicate their league or their p and their pa and for the most part they physically know that athlete or they have someone who's related to them they don't know where to start right exactly and for the most part it's just like no, you don't. I mean, if you're trying to get LeBron, yeah, you're gonna, you have to call every single one of those people and his best friend and Rich Paul and maybe his mom. <laughs> but for every, for, you know, the 11th, the 10th, 11th, 12th guy on the Lakers, you know, the, the 7th through 12 on the Raptors and NHL, all these different things, like a lot of them are just, would be fine. They just, they just want to have a conversation, you know, and that's sort of where we started and that's where we're, that's where we're going. Nice, nice. So, I mean, you mentioned that this sort of came on recently there, but was this something that had there been a, a, a CFL season this year? Do you, do you think no matter what, you, this was going to launch, this was going to be something you were going to dive into head first, or was it because of the fact that you suddenly found yourself with all of this time on your hands all of a sudden that, that it sort of came about organically that way? So I guess the question would be, you know, was this something that was coming this year, come hell or high water, mm-hmm. or because of the opportunity that COVID sort of threw a wrench into your main plans of actually being a football player, you were able to devote a little bit more time to this? I think both. I think it's hard to say where we would be right now with mm-hmm. it had everything not shifted. But we did, I, I'm very much a my favorite quote ever and it's the dumbest quote ever but coach Samara once said it in a locker room chat or in like a lot in a, in a yelling at us kind of chat and it's stuck with all of us forever is you can't be half pregnant you're either pregnant or you're not so I in March or sorry February when I started the business plan in March started bringing some team members in and now we have a founding team um in April April 1st and everyone had told me I was like guys like dude we don't need to do this yet but I was like no we're doing it because that makes it real so I we incorporated in April because that's so I was pretty much just like whether or not I go play football, this is a business. It's federally incorporated. We're paying for it. There's taxes. Like everything is real. So it was going to happen. Um, I do not think that it would be where we're, where we're at right now, which is launching in two weeks and this incredible traction we've had and all these different things without COVID. But, you know, it was, it was coming. It's obviously would have taken a, a backseat uh, during the season, but we were going to try to push through, which would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> would have had a, a lot of competing interests uh, if you had yes. them on the field at the same time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, what has the startup experience been like for you? You know, like what have been some of the things that, you know, you maybe weren't aware of ahead of time that you had to sort of learn on the fly and, you know, how rewarding has it sort of been to be able to, you know, have this quote unquote business baby on your yeah. It's so, like, it's every, every single day. Um, and at the start, it was every single day feeling like a, like I was wearing a dunce cap. Like, even the most well-meaning people getting on Zoom calls with you. And then, you know, there's so, been so many incredible people. I think especially in the sort of the tech world, it's like kind of a pay it forward economy in terms of like communicate or, you know, conversations and, and helping one another, which has been invaluable. But I think even the, the, the best meaning people or advisors have been like, there's been moments of like, what do you, do you know, what, how do you think you're going to be able to do this? Because yeah. like just the simplest things have been like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing that anybody had ever said out loud before. <laughs> um, so there's so much learning in the best way. I mean, it's like, it's very, I think gratifying is the best way. Like, you know, seeing where we have come from as a team and sort of how well we've adapted and switched and tested and, you know, validated and all these different things that like, to me, always sounded like business buzzwords, like you'd learn out of a textbook that would have no application. And now you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. So there's a reason they teach that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's not just like a self-help book, you know, there's quote that someone's- madness. <laughs> exactly, there's a definite method to the madness. And I think sort of grasping with that and grappling with it without, you know, compromising our, our mission and what we want to do has been awesome. And I really do think that like the closer we get to launch and the, the more our product roadmap is built out and sort of we see where our fit is in this whole industry because sports marketing is it's big but it's not um i think like there's a real chance for us to disrupt some stuff that's antiquated and not necessarily always the best for the athlete um and that's not to step on toes or move people out of the way but i think it's just to usher in a little bit of a new um the, just the, the way that it's going other way. I think I'm just excited to sort of be ahead of it and hopefully be the people in Canada that sort of bring what's obviously coming to the forefront. You know, influencer marketing is coming um, and it's time to just dive headfirst. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember reading a quote somewhere from you there where you said, you know, not, not everyone can go out and afford a, an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that, like, like you were saying earlier, that, you know, the fourth line players there or the black aces that are skating mm -hmm. and all that there, the, the, there's value there, right? And, and so it, it's giving sort of a voice to them as well, too. So if, if there was an athlete or, you know, whether they're pro or semi-pro or wherever they sort of fall on the spectrum that was listening to this right now and says, you know what, this is something I've always been looking for and I've never been able to find it. How, how do I get involved? What's the best way for them to find you guys, get involved mm -hmm. with the process, all of that? What, where should they start? Um, either on Instagram or at the website. So the website would be autonomy, but it's, it's tech, so we hate vowels. Um, it's <laughs> atnmymarketing.com. And then our Instagram is just at ATNMY underscore. Um, some info there, you know, there's some videos of me talking in a in blank white space, explaining a little bit. There's some product demos um, and stuff like that. But I mean, I think the biggest thing for athletes to, to know about where we're coming from is that we're not charging you. We're never gonna charge you. Um, that's that's who we are, that's what we're about. I mean, there's a uh, full transparency. There's a little two and a half percent transaction fee because they charge us 2.6% to, to process the money. So we try to, we're not trying to pay to have you all on, on the platform, but that's, that's about as much as it's ever going to be. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's for athletes by athletes, you know, and it's always gonna be hundred percent free. Nice. Nice. And uh, obviously you've mentioned already, you know, you're launching very shortly there. So, you know, let, let's not put the, the cart in front of the horse here, but you know, long-term is, is this something that you guys want to strictly focus on just athletes or do you see yourselves, you know, whatever, five, 10, 15 years down the road, sort of opening up to more and, and it could be, you know, influencers or a celebrity or just mm-hmm. you know, local chef or something like that. What, what, what's sort of the, the, the grand vision for the company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, there's lots of ways to go about it. Um, like we're, and we're, let me also say, we're not just athletes, even, even now for our beta launch, we're everybody in the sports um, fitness world. So athlete, pro athletes, Olympians, but also, you know, we have um, some pretty well-known, you know, gym owners or, you know, naturopaths or, or nutritionists, all these sorts of things. We just want to bring a place, have a place where people in health and wellness can come and monetize because they often get looked over. You know what I mean, like, it's like, there's, people that are there's nutritionists out there and stuff that have, you know, a modest 25, three, 4,000 followers, but mm-hmm. those followers are following them because they trust them. Mm-hmm. And that is so much more valuable than a hundred thousand followers that follow for, let's say different reasons. In some yeah. cases, you know, <laughs> a shirtless dude with nice abs that everyone just that's following because it's an aesthetic they like, like yeah. these, these health pros and people in, in health and wellness that have a voice have influence. It's like, it's so valuable. And I think a lot of times brands don't really, they haven't necessarily caught on all the way yet to the, to those, those conversations. It's been so aesthetic focused and like, I just got the best looking person that looks a certain, you know, does it X, Y, Z, but we're, as we sort of see this shift into like real engagement and all these, and all these metrics actually matter. That's where they, that's where these people are really going to start to thrive. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it's de- like you said, it's definitely a market that's untapped and there, there's going to be a ton of athletes, health and wellness, trainers, gym owners, all of that, that are get, definitely going to be able to take advantage of it there. So mm-hmm. make sure if you're listening or watching on our YouTube channel there, you, you head over to their website, you check them out today. But, but before we let you go, I, I would be remiss. I wouldn't be doing my job as, as hosting a sports, uh, sports podcast here. If I didn't ask you, do, do you have any inside info for us about the CFL season? Or is there going to be one? And anything you can share with us i don't want to get you in trouble here yeah, obviously yeah. but any inside info um inside info no not really <laughs> i mean commissioner did his, his did his address uh he did a the state of the union um yesterday i think that at this point with some with the leagues we've seen make this thing work mm-hmm. um there's enough data there's enough data and i, I do believe the cfl is in a tough spot uh, yeah. first time around obviously angry disheartened upset that it didn't work um but round two 2021 there's enough examples out there for how to make it work that there's no excuse and i i truly believe that we're gonna that we're gonna have a season that's not insider data that's or the insider trading or anything like that that's just that's just straight philosophy and just the fact i think that should just be science at this point we know how it can work yeah we've seen it done let's just do it yeah all right last question gun to your head if you had to put put a bet on it there will we see any kind of whether it's reduced capacity or whatever any kind of fans in stadium or do you think this the season goes fanless and just mostly television and virtual what are we looking at like last week of may <laughs> Ooh, how long That's, doesn't, doesn't have to be the whole season but at some six point, or seven months away yeah i mean i think there's so much money to be made from this dang vaccine that pfizer and moderna are gonna are gonna kill themselves to be the first trillion dollar company so i think someone's gonna someone's gonna push this thing out yeah. and, and make it happen to be honest I, I wouldn't be surprised so i can see it happen by the end i think if i had to bet like if you were like yeah you got to gun to your head like you said at some point in the season 
there will be fares. Maybe it's, you know, they're looking at rapid testing stuff. Maybe it's you need to pass a test before. Maybe it's only season ticket holders that can, that, you know, pass tests. I'm pulling up some great ideas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's things like that. Um, and you got to be able to pass a test day before a game sort of thing. But I think so. We're such a gate-driven league that they're going to turn over every stone to make sure that, that uh, people are in the stands. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, also, you know, talking sports, but also mm -hmm. providing a little bit of context uh, as far as the your new venture. And then also giving us a bit of a hot stock tip there as far as you go and buy some Pfizer or Moderna stock <laughs> on the way out too. Absolutely. Just had, had your bets though. Yeah. <laughs> Get both. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we wish you all the best and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to chatting you with it again in the future there. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Want to take a quick break to talk about the newest partner of the Dine Sports YouTube page and podcast network, Rolo Golf. Listen, golf has changed. People drive further, chip better, and most importantly, dress better. Their products aren't your grandparents' golf wear, and they're made of high-quality materials that will help make a statement on and off the course. Even if your game isn't good, you can at least look and feel good in their limited-edition prints. And what's cool about them is that once a collection sells out, they're done. They're not going to make any more prints of them. So you don't need to worry about looking like a twin and someone showing up with the exact same shirt on uh, the green the next time you're out on the course there. So be sure to check out their full collection of shirts, masks, gloves, Socks online at rollo.golf today. And uh, also make sure to use the code DINES15 at checkout for 15% off your order. So that's D Y N E S 15 at checkout to get 15% off. Definitely some cool swag out there and make sure you check them out today. All right. And joining us this week, we have Cameron Hughes. Cameron, how are you doing today, sir? I am so good and I'm so happy to be here. I wish I was live in the beautiful hometown. Yeah, yeah. So we've got the, the hometown boy currently. Where are you right now? You said you just came across the border once uh, uh, COVID I'm in happened? BC. Yeah, I'm in Victoria, BC, waiting for the roads to open that I'm going to drive across the country. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's take a while though. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. If you've got a timeline, that, that, that's news to me because who knows when the heck any of this stuff's going away, right? Right. I mean, I, I, I'm going to go visit every arena that I've been uh, hired in uh, and drive across the country. Oh, that, that'll keep you pretty busy because you've, you, you've been a pretty busy guy as far as actually going across, coast to coast, big venues, small venues, everything in between. I, I mean, a, a logical place to start is, you know, when, when someone asks you, what is, what is it you do for a job? What do you say is your profession? How do you describe what it is uh, you do? I was on a plane with a guy and I was exhausted. I'd just been perform the night before and I've got to fly to another game and the guy next to me like tells me his whole story then he's like so what do you do and I was like uh I'm in the energy business <laughs> and he was like what uh yeah I mean I you know I, I think I'm when I really look at on a deeper level it's like I think I ignite people in the sense of like being a spark to have a little more fun to let loose to connect to be part of the experience more you know um I, I just want people to feel a little something extra, something a little special. And to, uh, you know, we all go to sport events for different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some people just want to complete three hours of nothing. They want to be with their buddies. They want to cheer on their team. It's sort of an all of the above, right? Yeah. And if I can be someone that just makes you laugh a little more, boom, that's perfect, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so what would be sort of your, your title if you were to put it on the business card? Is it a professional fan? Is it ambassador of enthusiasm? Like what, what's sort of your, your one liner there? Well, you know, it used to be on my dating profile was extreme dancer, but uh, <laughs> you know, I started off as the dancing guy and then it came into super fan and then cheer guy, crowd igniter. Um, you know, for me, it's like, I've always wanted to, people to at least call me by my name, but I don't get introduced at events. So it's more, you know, that guy, t-shirt guy, <laughs> I've had everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like we were just saying, you're from Ottawa originally there, and this all actually started at a Sens game way back in the early nineties of all places there. What do you remember about that first night? Oh, it's, I've never been asked it in that way. It's a great question. I've always been asked, how did it start? Right. Yeah. Um, were you drunk? What were you thinking? Did you go in with this? Yeah, no, a buddy of mine, it was January 8th, 94, playing the Jets. Team was horrible, like horrible. <laughs> Civic Center was, uh, you know, it was quiet. Um, yeah. You know, it was an interesting arena. Let's just say that. Um, but it was sold out, right? Back in the day, it was packed and people wanted to have fun. And it was exciting that the Senators were a new team. And I was with a buddy and I had had season tickets from the day one. I was number, no, I don't, I've never talked about this, but I was number 800 on the sign up, sign up list. Okay. So I had my own season tickets. They were up in the bleachers, like way, 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 like yeah. five rows from the top. Uh, all I could afford at the time. And I always was like, wait a minute, we got to do something here but I was never had the right seat or the right moment. Mm -hmm. so I'm sitting there. It's quiet. It's a library, right? Yeah. First period, nothing. We're down a goal going into the third, eight minutes to go. I look at my buddy and he's like, feel me. He was like this tension in me. I'm like, gotta do something. Gotta do something. And the crazy part is I was, we were just drinking Coca-Colas and popcorn. We weren't into the beers. Yeah. And I, I was like, I'm going to do something. He's like, what are you going to do? Don't do it. You know? <laughs> And I got up on my seat, Kyle, and I just started to dance, but I turned around and I looked at the crowd. Like I didn't, I was looking at them. You know what I mean? I had my back to the ice and I was focusing on just this crowd. And I think that, I don't know, like psychologically, they felt like I was putting on a show just for them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they reacted and the rest of the arena is like, what's going on over there? Yeah. And I remember having this really weird out of body experience after I sat back down, truly going, what did I just do? How the hell am I going to get out of this? Right. Yeah. And the play resumes and the next whistle, the DJ plays like, like everybody dance now or boom, boom, like one of those big, you know, no cams. songs. Right. Yeah. And 10,000 people turn around and look at me. Yeah. And 10,000 people turn around and look at me and they're like, keep dancing, man. So I get up from my seat and I tell people, this is why I've had the career because, well, you know, you know, a lot of people get crazy in their seat, but they don't take it to the aisle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go to the aisle and I've got six people to go through. And I have buddies who still talk about this that, that were there. And I get to the aisle and I start going up and down the aisle. And there's only 15 seconds of footage of my first year ever on camera because I mean, no one had cameras. Right. Yeah. And I'm wearing jeans on jeans, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going nuts. I just won't stop. There's no quit. So I stop. The crowd goes wild. Get back to my seat. There's a young intern there from the Sens saying, hey, we want your number. And I'm like, 
to do what? <laughs> <laughs> Am I in trouble? <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, you can't kick me out. The game's over. It's always been my joke, right? <laughs> and then I remember going to a bar in the market and having people come up to me, kind of give me the fist bump, like, hey, good for you. We needed that. Hey, you know, that was fun. What were you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't go in there thinking I'm going to do this. If I had, it wouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. And then I was on the front page of the Ottawa sports section. There was an article in the sports in the Ottawa Sun saying dancing redhead bandits still show at Senators game, something <laughs> like that. And my dad's like, what'd you do last night? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just just made the front page of the sports section. No yeah, big deal. Yeah. Just lost a friend and banned from ever going to a game again. But other than that, dad, it was great. Yeah. It kinda, you know, that was it. That was the moment, you know, where I just let loose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, most people, well, not most people, but some people, you, you'll see them at the, the, whether it's a Sens game or an NBA game or whatever, and the Jumbotron will go on them and they panic, right? They'll hide behind their friend or they'll get all shy and, you know, you, they, they don't like the attention that they're getting there. Whereas with you, we, we're, we've got the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? You, you relish that moment. Were you always sort of, you know, loving being the center of attention, sort of class clown growing up or... Was this more of a like out of character thing for you to have done that night? No, I mean, I was the guy and, you know, I went to high school in Ottawa, didn't make the high school basketball team is sort of my thing, but I went and cheered them on instead. I had a, you know, my mother passed away in the middle of high school and she kind of gave me this spark that I needed, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be a little more fearless, to come out of my shell in some ways. Like I wasn't not outgoing. I just wasn't like next level, you know? Yeah. And so I started cheering on my friends at their away games. And then I was like, wait a minute, let's bring people to our gym. And I became Mr. Spirit. And then I went to university and wore a watermelon on my head. Then I was Lenny the Lynx, <laughs> the mascot, <laughs> the, the, the AAA team. Yeah. But really that night, I didn't have a mask on. All those other times I was hiding behind something. You know, if you really want to, like, if I really look at it, you know, I wasn't like, this is me. And I, you know, it was all these things that lay, you know, laid a foundation for that moment to happen. Right. So people are like, Oh, are you just crazy? Like, what are you like pulling a Bart Simpson? It was like, no, it was our home or whatever it was. It was like, it was just the right place at the right time at the right game at the right night. It just all fell into place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if the Sens had put out a, uh, you know, an ad saying looking for people to pump up fans at the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there would have been quite the uh, cast of characters that would have come out for that. I'm sure. But also would have been forced, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we all know, like, we don't want to be, no one wants to quote unquote, be told what to do at a sport event, but we'll, we'll take direction if it's in a, in a, in a in a fun, entertaining way, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the way that I started it, you know, I've been thinking, you know, I've been asked a lot of questions recently about like, how do I think I've still had a career after 26 years? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because there's, I, I've tried to recreate that feeling that I had that first night, which then creates the feeling that the fans had, which is a moment of spontaneous celebration and joy. You know, and I try to bring that to, you know, if I'm at a gig in Asia or if I'm in Brandon, Manitoba at a week Kings game, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you, you already touched on it there. So obviously the little intern comes up there and, oh, can I get your number to, to okay, that, that's all well and good. And you probably, you know, being a little bit younger figured out, oh, okay, I'm make a little extra cash here. No, no big deal. What was sort of the tipping point though, where you went, you know what, this is more than just a sort of one-off thing. Like I could legitimately have sort of a career out of this. Does anything stand out where sort of went, you know what, I'm pushing my chips to the middle of the table. I'm going all in with this. Yeah. I mean, that took a couple of years. I did it for the Sens the first year. Um, you know, they, they gave me this Jersey, which is an old Sens Jersey. Like that was my payment was a Sens Jersey, <laughs> uh, a bagel stick, which somewhere in storage somewhere. The next year they paid me a few hundred bucks and then I went to Toronto because they didn't make the playoffs and I had it in there to do leaf games back at the garden where it was just hysteria that at that moment the Leafs were playing really well and it was the moment where I saw that it didn't matter if you were a Sens Leafs fan you know obviously Ottawa and Toronto has a great rivalry now but the fans fans just wanted to have fun like it didn't matter it wasn't because I was from Ottawa cheering on the Sens that they reacted do you know what I mean yeah yeah so I'm doing the Leafs um, I get, I get, there is footage of this. There, they see me on hockey net in Canada. Harry Neal calls me out and says, Oh, this guy's going to have a swelled head in the morning. And, you know, <laughs> assuming that I was drunk and acting crazy. And a buddy of mine from Ottawa saw this and heard this. And he wrote uh, Ron McLean and uh, Harry Neal a note saying, Hey, this guy's, you don't need to like attack him. He's just trying to have some fun. Yeah. So the next night, Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, I'm doing my thing. The electricity in the building was off the charts. And Harry Neal talks about me this time. And he says, look at this guy go. He's amazing. He's Cameron Hughes from Ottawa. He's a motivational consultant. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but that was it. Because you know how many people watch that? Like yeah. one and a half, two million people. Nobody was posting about it on the internet, but it, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, dude, driving back from Toronto to Ottawa going, I got to figure this out. Like, yeah. That was amazing. And something here. It, it was a series of moments like that, you know, and then I, you know, I had a crazy trip that went to LA where I did, you know, a Ducks, a Laker and a Kings game to see if maybe they would hire me. And they didn't at the time, but a guy had been at all three games from Washington sports and entertainment. So then he hires me. So it's like, it's a story of like, <laughs> it's a story. <laughs> I feel like, I'm, yeah, okay, that was a little obnoxious, but you know what I mean? My story is a story of also like showing up and things are going to happen, right? Yeah. I didn't plan like half the stuff that happened. It's just a matter of being there. And I think that that's, you know, I wish someone had said, you know, when I was a little younger, like trust the process a bit more because you do good work, you, you see results, the people like what you're doing, you know, maybe they'll call you, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, for, for those that are watching the, the YouTube version of this here, the podcast listeners, you'll have to take our word for it there. But I mean, you, you're in sort of a, a man cave of just jerseys and sweaters and everything that you've done over the years. Here. <laughs> yeah. Give us a little tilt here. Show us, show us what you're working with on the walls there. Like you've got to have a few jerseys here. Yeah. yeah. This one, Carter Devils, Belfast Giants. Yeah. And Look at this like, one, little retro. There, there you go. You, you, you did the reverse retro before Adidas got there, right? <laughs> Look at that bees retro. Yeah, so, I mean, I've got jerseys go on and on. I got the ice dogs, steelheads, royals, moose heads. I, I mean, I've done, I think it's 128 different hockey rinks I've been to. Wow. 
And, and how many, if, if we're taking in all sports here, like uh, how many different, prof- in a professional capacity, not going in, you know, just as a fan, oh, I bought a ticket, I showed up, whatever, but how many different venues would you say that you've actually performed at over the years if you had to ballpark it? Oh, I've never actually, I mean, I, I list them all in, in, my, in my new project, <laughs> or if we're allowed to talk about it yet, but I list them all. I've never counted, but it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's hundreds, hundred, right? Hundreds. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, and it's, um, I joked with someone recently, I said I should be a consultant on stadium experience uh, construction. And yeah. they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I know how to, I know the best arenas are, the way they build them for the fan experience. Yeah. And they were, they were laughing and then they're like, oh, that makes sense, you know? Because yeah. yeah. there's a lot of horrible arenas, right? Where it's just oh, yeah. the, the vantage point isn't great. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's been. I think it's forty-one states, nine provinces, and ten countries. Sort of the stats. Wow. Wow. And all started in Ottawa, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And if you were to build sort of your Mount Rushmore of you know most memorable experiences, what are some of the ones that that make the cut for you that stand out above the rest? Well, U.S. Open tennis has been really good to me. Um, I convinced them to let me come and perform there for, I asked for a dollar. <laughs> they had said no. And I, I, I like, I hammered them and I'm like, no, you got to let me in. And then next thing I know, I'm having a dance off with Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal and meeting him. And then I'm asked to do Roger Federer's tennis tournament, uh, charity tournament. Yeah. yeah. It's New York city. Right. I mean, it was just electric, you know, it was, it was insane. And then, you know, the one event that stands out and well, sorry. And then there's Madison square garden. You know, my whole thing is I didn't make my high school basketball team, but you know, I made it to Madison square garden, you know, <laughs> and I remember I, you know, calling my basketball coach who cut me from Ottawa. And I'm like, Hey coach, you cut the only guy that made it to the NBA. You know, what yeah. do you think? <laughs> but you know, the biggest event for me, if there was just like someone said, what's the one, it would be Vancouver 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at the gold medal game, Canada, US. Uh, they, people are like, well, they didn't need you. I'm like, if you watch that game, how quiet the Canadian crowd is at a certain point because they were so nervous. Yeah. And there were moments where I'm like, I got to do something here. And they told me they didn't want me to, they wanted me to be neutral, right? Yeah. That's the one game I was not neutral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was right behind when Sydney scored, I was right behind the net. I remember celebrating. I've been performing. I remember running downstairs to this, you know, little makeshift weird locker room, showering, running upstairs to my friends that were there. And I, I'd been so focused and so disciplined two games a day for like, however many days it was like 24 games. So a long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a beer after Canada won gold and it was just like, ah, oh, I did it. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there anything that you haven't gotten a chance to do yet that's still sort of on, on your bucket list of, oh, before I, I, I hang them up, I would love to do whatever event or, or whatever arena? Oh, game seven, uh, the Senators Stanley Cup finals and they win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Super Bowl would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's nothing that I'm like, I, I, there's a few things that used to drive me that I really wanted to do. And I got, I, I got, you know, through a series of, you know, moments of showing up, I got to do it. You know, I, two different times I went from the NHL finals to the NBA finals back to back nights, um, which was like, at that point I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? 
I'm yeah. good. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not, I, I want to do some more stuff internationally, I think. Okay. I've done, I've done uh, hockey in Europe, rugby in Europe, rugby in Asia. I kind of like want to do some like, you know, baseball game in Japan or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would be really cool there. I mean, right now they've got the robots in the stands for the fans there. So I uh, don't know how you could fire them up, but when you get back to the <laughs> live people, at least. Uh... If I could, I'd be like, that'd be next level, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, obviously in, in your line of work, when, when things are going well and the crowd's feeding off you, it, it, it's great, right? But have you ever had that, that experience where you're giving it your all and you are getting nothing back from the crowd? It's crickets, everyone's looking at you sideways. Like, what, what do you do in those moments? You run, you run for the door. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I've had a lot of, you know, to be fair, I've had a lot of those. Like, um, a couple stand out, but it's really hard. Like, you're, when you're actually hired, you know, I always say to someone, if you're hired to paint that wall, you figure it out. You know what I mean? If it takes you eight hours, you do it. Yeah. For me, if you're hired, your specific goal is to energize, engage the crowd, and they they don't want to come with you, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or if I'm sick or, you know, I did a game a couple of years ago or a year ago in Vegas, and the doctor came in and, like, checked me out and was like, you probably shouldn't do this game. They gave me an IV. <laughs> And then like some of the fans are like, are you okay? It doesn't seem like you're feeling it tonight. So if I'm not feeling it, how could they, right? Yeah. Um, but there's a game in Leeds, a rugby game I did, and there's video of it where it took me about a minute to get the crowd going. They were just looking at me like, are you going to stop? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and they finally got into it. Yeah. And it was awful. <laughs> yeah. You know? The longest minute of your uh, life, I'm sure. <laughs> It was. And then, and then I won them over though. Like I kept going. I think the more I kept going, the more they're like, okay. And then the other big one that stands out, if you're a hockey fan would be the New Jersey devils. The first time I went to Prudential center, they, they were like, you know, Lou Lamorella was famous for not marketing, not doing anything fun, you know, the, letting the hockey speak for itself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the game and before the game, the two guys that hired me that I'd worked with in other arenas were like, it's a tough crowd here. Tough crowd. And I was like, oh, thanks for the pep talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dude, I got up and it was crickets. I was like going to get on a flight home. Yeah. Five, I think it was five different times before they finally reacted to any sort of, and then I realized you know, at an early age, thankfully, that you got to wait for the right time to get up too. Mm -hmm. you know, when the crowd's quiet or when they're wanting to come up with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Timing's everything. Timing is everything at those games. And I've learned to really read the crowds. And I think that that's, you know, probably another reason why I've had, you know, been doing this so long is because I've gotten better at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, on a lighthearted note here, on your website, you actually have listed as eight hospitalizations as one of your uh, statistics that you, you've kept track of over the years. Now, I'm sure a, a couple of them probably aren't very funny and were actually serious and whatnot there, but uh, at least one of them, I've got to figure, given the line of work that it is, have you had that moment where you're actually in the hospital going, I can't believe I'm in the hospital because of blank. That just happened there. Well, I'll share a couple of quick stories. So I'm in Ottawa. I'm doing the Senators back at the Civic Center. I jumped off a railing onto a set of stairs, completely missed. First time my dad had ever come to see me perform. And I remember, I'm fine, right? I'm fine. You know what yeah. I mean? And go out to a friend's party afterwards. And I'm like, I'm not fine. 
So yeah. I go to the one of the hospitals in Ottawa and the ER doctor was at the game and he was like, I saw you fall and then hopping around on one foot. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the I got rehab and the doctor who was rehabbing me was like a big hockey fan. We need you back. We, so she was like, all right, we're going to get you back. There's that. That one you know, stands out. Um, and then the other one would probably be uh, Janet Gretzky at the 1996 NHL All-Star Game saw me in the corner uh, looking as white as this jersey and called an ambulance because I was about to pass out and I was dehydrated from flying and not looking after. Like, you know, you need to drink a lot of fluid when you're performing. Yeah. And my buddies were coming to meet me and I was like zoomed off in an ambulance and they're like, where are you? <laughs> that was embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously you've lived a very wild adventure of a, a career here and you've actually just released a book now entitled The King of Cheer, which is chronicling your whole journey, right? Oh, so, this. again, for those that are on, on the YouTube here, <laughs> this is what you, we're talking about here. This book, what, what can readers expect out of this book if they go out and pick it up? What can they expect? Uh, I'm going to bring you on a ride, really, a journey. My whole idea was that if I'm sitting beside you on a plane, if I meet you at a cocktail party, if we're at a bar, I'm going to be like, oh, tell me the time you, you know, you made it to Cleveland into the NBA finals. How'd you get that gig? What's what happened there? Or tell me about, you know, I was doing TV in Toronto, then I decided to move to LA. And it's just been, it's like taking you on this crazy sort of road trip of adventures, the highs and lows. And I don't just talk about, oh, look at me, I'm at the NHL finals. It's more like, the behind the scenes and, and you know also like the big thing for me is like this book in a way is also a, i've never really said this but it's a thank you too to the fans for having me and to all the team executives who said you know we want to do something different for our fans you know mm -hmm. and my whole career i've said whether it was you know this crazy jersey and you know ice skaters or any of the jerseys behind me i say like if you're not going to bring me in what are you doing for your fans you know yeah. so i share some stories in here as well about some of the crazy promotions i've seen and um i the new jersey stories in there pretty funny i got a great quote from martin Berdur, uh name drop and he goes uh after a game once i'm in the hallway and i'm dripping with sweat and i can barely walk and he's coming out to get it i don't know what he was going to the trainer's room and he sees me and i'm dripping and so he looks at me and he goes you should have been third star at least tonight there guy <laughs> like beautiful uh, French Canadian accent it was like and I'm sitting there going yeah I'm like I thought he was gonna pass me a coke you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. The, the mean Joe Green toss you a towel or something in the tunnel something. Right? yeah yeah so I, I mean was this sort of your idea as far as like you know what I've done this for 26 years I've got all these great stories I want to make a book or was it just so many people you know, in your life saying like, you've probably got enough stories here. You should start considering putting something in writing. Like how did, how did the idea to put together the book sort of come about? Yeah, there's been different iterations of wanting to do it. And, you know, I'm, you know, very all over the map and focus wise and all that stuff. So I just, I put down as many stories as I could on a wall. And I was like, okay, do I have enough here? You know, it was a very sort of uh, a beautiful mind moment. <laughs> and and then I cut and paste and I had a friend help me who was like, nope, that story is not good. Oh, that story's great. Let's do more on that one. Or this fits here. Where, where's the narrative? And it was hard, yeah. you know, but it was like sitting there 
in a room with like your whole life in front of you. Like some of the pictures we have, people are like, are you losing your mind? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just want them to click. Like I want each story to click and I want you to feel like you were there, you know? Yeah. And it was a long process. And then with COVID, it was like, do I finish? Do I, what do I do? And when COVID hit, I actually upped my game, you know, like that's when I really took hold of the project and crossed the finish line. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what was harder in your experience there, writing this book or performing in New Jersey? <laughs> uh, man, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> writing the book, for sure. Writing the book, for sure. I, I, I figured, I figured. So, I mean, where can people find this book? Where, where can people not only purchase it, but also even just get more information on you and your career and sort of what it is that you do? Where, where can people find that? Uh, CameronHughes.tv is my main website and you can get a book um, signed or personalized uh, or you can go on like any of the big retailers, Amazon and all that sort for a book. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of events now. I've been doing a lot of like Zoom meetings and stuff. So that's another thing that people are doing. And instead of, you know, a fee, they'll buy 50, 75, 100 books for their employees and their team, which is pretty cool because I haven't really been, I haven't really had a career since March. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just grateful, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I, I did an interview a while ago and I got emotional talking about my journey because somebody has got to give you a shot and the fans in Ottawa were like, Hey, they gave me the shot. You know what I mean? If they hadn't reacted or cheered or supported that night, you know, I don't know where I'd be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, for those that are listening here, you know, head over to the website, pick up a copy, uh, do it now because who, who knows with shipping where, wherever you are in the world there, you want to get it in, in time for Christmas, right? So get your, get your pre-orders now, head over there. And while you're there, check out some of the other stuff that Cameron's been up to. It's uh, been a wild journey and uh, we, we wish you all the best. And, and hopefully we can see you actually live at an event again sometime in the near yeah. future as well. Well, thank you. And I, I, it's funny, a lot of people are like, oh, are you going to quit now that, you know, with everything that's happening? I'm like, it's actually giving me a little more fuel to want to keep doing it for a bit longer, you know? Yeah. I almost want to make my list of 20 events I want to do when it opens up and be like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Get yeah. out. Wheel, wheel me out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Any, anytime, anytime. So stay tuned for the Cameron Hughes bucket list tour there. And he's going to knock off his 20 biggest venues and then ride off into the sunset. I'll be like, in, you know, in Prince Albert, you'd be like, oh, I didn't think that's what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks for joining us, Cameron. We wish you all the best. Thank you. Cheers. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Dine Sports YouTube page and podcast network. As always, a huge thank you goes out to our guests today, Nate Bihar and Cameron Hughes, for joining us and walking us through their journeys and experiences at the uh, professional sports ranks and some of the cool stuff that they've been up to. It's always great to catch up with some uh, people who are really making an impact at the next level, and uh, especially when they've got some Ottawa ties as well there too. Always great seeing local folks succeed. So if you like what you heard, make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, and drop us a quick five-star review on the uh, podcast would be phenomenally appreciated there. I've also got some uh, new opportunities as well too. So one of the cool features that we just launched with our monthly newsletter is uh, coast-to-coast Canadian sports industry job board postings. So that's not just postings with us and not just postings within the auto area, but from... Uh, 
East Coast to West Coast and everywhere in between anything that has to do with the sports industry, we will be having, um, you know, up to date postings on there as well. So if you ever wanted to uh, work within the sports realm, be sure to head over to our website, dinesports.com, all one word, and uh, subscribe to our monthly newsletter. And that'll get sent to your inbox once a month there. And what's good about our monthly newsletter is, is exactly what it is. Once a month, you'll hear from us. You're not going to get bombarded with a whole bunch of uh, offers and chunk mail and all that and blow up your entire inbox there. So one, one email a month, not a huge commitment, and it's free, best of all. So make sure you uh, check that out. We've also got various social media pages as well, too. Check them all out. All of them handles are at Dine Sports, one word, D-Y-N-E-S Sports. Until then, we will thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Have a great weekend, folks.